I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story. Welcome to our study on the fourfold gospel. There's a link in the show notes to the lesson book that we're working through together. Basically, this study looks at all four gospel accounts together, and there are some questions we work through to guide us in our study. Thanks for joining us. Okay, let's begin with a word of prayer. Dear God in heaven, we pray for all of those on our list that are sick and struggling and recovering, all the things that, that uh, we're struggling with in different health issues in the congregation. Be with those who are traveling with the holidays to be safe and be able to come back with us. Be with us in our study. Help us to understand these things the way you intend and uh, so that we can uh, be a light in the world for you and, and be, be teaching the truth and not error. Bless us in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we had a lot of good discussion last time and led me to some further study. Um, one of the things that I kind of came up with was uh, talking about John the Baptist. We had there in Mark 1, verse 6, I think also Matthew mentioned something like this, where now John was clothed with camel's hair and, and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild hunting. We, we talked about that, how that was you know, kind of this wild man thing and, and, and all that. He would have been unusual. But it's also, there's a good reference from the Old Testament that I failed to bring to us. 2 Kings chapter 1, verses 7 through 8, we see a reference to Elijah being dressed the same way. So this is where uh, Elijah has a message for Ahab, and then the messengers take it to him. He, he said to them, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? And they answered him, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, it's, it's Elijah the Tishbite. So Ahab, uh, King Ahab recognized based on that unique dress that, well, that's Elijah the Tishbite. And so I think we're to, we're to understand that as well when we see John the Baptist dressed in this really the same way that that's hearkening to giving us that vision of, oh, this, this relates to Elijah. And so those, uh, hopefully that brings some of that together as we're, we're talking about John the Baptist sort of fulfilling and coming in the spirit of Elijah. And then talking about Jesus being baptized by John was sort of where we were, where we were at in our, in our lesson book on page 12 at the bottom. We spent uh, the whole time on question 9, where, where you know, what did, what did John say to Jesus? And we got onto some questions uh, about, about all of this. Particularly in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, where it says there, as for me, I baptize you with the water for repentance. That's just a phrase from that. Of course, John is talking about. And Don brought up a really good question. And I think it took us a little time to figure out what he was asking. And I'll try to restate it. And Don, you tell me if I'm like completely misunderstanding you. So when it says I baptize you with water for repentance... And that's a Greek word that we sometimes hear talked about. It's pronounced 
ace or ice, E-I-S, uh, for or unto or into. You know, the, the, we have a, a debate with our religious neighbors about <coughs> Acts, Acts 2.38, which has a similar construction. <coughs> and so we might look at this uh, from the perspective of our religious neighbors who have that argument to say, well, they'll say that for means because of. And so if we look at this, is it, is it saying here in the text, as for me, I baptize you with water because of repentance? And that might make some sense because, in fact, these, these folks are coming out and they're repenting. And is it because of their repentance that then um, John the Baptist is then immersing them in water? <clears throat> so that's, I'm not saying that's what this says, but that's, I think, the, the, the contention and the concern. So if we look at Acts 2.38, we're very familiar with that where Peter said, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for, in the same word, A-C-E-I-S, for the forgiveness of sins. And so the argument goes with Baptists and certain people that take this view. Well, you're being baptized because of your forgiveness of sins. You, you have a good heart. You've said the sinner's prayer, which, of course, is not in the text, but this is the idea they have. You said the sinner's prayer and you have a good heart and, you're, and you are forgiven of your sins and because of that, you should be baptized. I, I contend that that's false teaching, but that's the argument. So is that pretty much the point, Don? So, so are we being honest when we make that argument? No, that in fact, uh, we're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for or unto or, or into in order to obtain the forgiveness of sins. And when we look at this, is, if it's the same word, are we being honest? That's, that's pretty much the question, right? So we get to talk about prepositions. And we need, sometimes we need Sesame Street because, <laughs> for me, grammar is painful. And if, if you remember, I don't know if anyone, if this is ringing a bell with anyone, there's a fly in my soup. Have you guys seen this, this uh, video? I think it came out when I was a kid. And uh, the, the sort of the shtick of the, the little... Uh, skit, I guess you'd call it, is uh, this, this, uh, this man with the brown hair is, is saying at this restaurant, hey, there's a fly in my soup. He's complaining to the waiter, and then Grover comes out. He's the, he's the, um, the waiter, and he's like, oh, let me help you. Let me help you. And, well, there's a fly in my soup, and so then Grover he's like, looks under the soup and around the soup and next to the soup, and so it's these different prepositions, and of course, they're teaching the kids about prepositions, so... For me, I, I, I have a hard time with what prepositions are, so that's kind of why I shared this. Not, not to diminish uh, the importance of Don's question by showing puppets. <laughs> it's an important question, but I think uh, prepositions are, are hard for me. Maybe it's just me, but I have to teach this, so I just want you to know where I'm coming from. I'm not completely comfortable with the subject, but a preposition is a word used to link nouns or pronouns or phrases to other words within a sentence. They act to connect the people, object, time and location of a sentence. And I think the sense of location is, is what we're thinking about here. Not necessarily a place, but uh, the concept of we're going from here to get to there, metaphorically, in, in the idea of uh, for forgiveness of sins. That's not a place, but that's a, a consequence that we're looking to have. If you think about prepositions, you know, these are not, if you, again, if you're like me, you don't necessarily think of these as prepositions because I don't think in terms of grammar, but, but these are not weird things. We say these things all the time. I'm 
I'm going into town, or I'm, I'm off from work, or I'm going towards dairy, you know. Um, we're walking along the path, these sorts of things. And in English, we have between actual words and then these little phrases, there's like 150 of these things, and that's sort of amorphous because you can kind of create new ones based on what you're talking about. So it's pretty diverse. English is crazy. But in Greek, there's, there's less words for these, and we're not going to study all of these, but there's about 17 or 18, depending how you, you slice it up. And this, this chart's kind of showing the idea, this direction, I think, that Don alluded to. So there's some, there's some ideas that are uh, talking about going into something or towards something or, or that you're in something, that you're in the midst of something, or that you're going out or you have gone out or that you're opposed to something, these are, these are words, or that you're above something, or that you're below something. And, and these are what these words mean. So they have about a, a tenth of the number of words that we have, so it's not like a decoder ring where each Greek word has a unique English word, and, and it's all clear for us. So these Greek words are versatile and have numerous meanings. And so to simplify that chart, we think about these ideas of thinking about a house. If you're going, you're going to or toward a house would be one word. If you're going into the house, that is precisely the concept we're talking about with this word ace, E-I-S, or epsilon, yoda, sigma, into the house. And then there would be you know, words for in and to have come from the house or to go out of the house. So that's the idea of the word. Definition of this word, a marker of intent, often with the implication of expected result for the purpose of, in order to. And if we think about this word throughout the corpus of the New Testament text, it occurs over 1,600 times. This isn't like a Let's look at these five examples thing. This is just sort of like the word the or something. You know, even in English, the word in, we just have these words everywhere. But if we think about some examples of, of the different senses in which it's used, we have the word to, and, you know, and he sent them to Bethlehem. They're going to the place. <clears throat> Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. We're going to study that soon, the temptations of Jesus. Um, wide is the way and broad that leads to destruction, to, to go into these things. Um, into, with another rendering, it's not really necessarily a different word, it's just a different way that it makes sense to say it in English so it doesn't seem awkward. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, and these are some passages we've just studied, right? Get up, take the child with his mother, and go into the land of Israel. You're going into it. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. Or in. He came and lived in a city called Nazareth. We might say into, but that kind of sounds awkward, right? They came, in, they came into the land of Israel to live there. And then later he, he came and settled in Capernaum. So this is this idea of direction that, that Don alluded to. That this word ace has an idea of direction and it's always pointing forward to go into that thing that's, that's referred to in the next word. He whispered in your ear, or 
into, you could say into your ear, but that might sound creepy or, you know. But it's the idea that that's the direction it's headed. And then there's other, other ideas here. Um, there's our, our verse, verse Matthew 3.11. As for me, I baptize you with water for, another way this is rendered, for repentance. It's the same word, into, into repentance. You know, those other verses there, the Magi left for their own country. So they didn't leave be because they were already in their own, own country. They left for to go toward, we might awkwardly say, for to go into, to go toward their country, to go into their country. And then they left for Egypt. They left to go into Egypt. It's this idea of direction. We're going somewhere. We're going somewhere. Yeah, we're not there yet. It's, we're not already there. We're, we're going into that thing, into that place, into that concept. So here, I baptize you with water for repentance. We're going into that. So if we break down that, that verse, you know, we see that word ace there, and, and we see it surrounded by all of the correct grammar, and I'm not going to go into that, but that makes the repentance is the thing that we're going for into, we're going ace into, we're going in it, toward it, in it, into it. So we might say, I immerse you in water into repentance. The, the, the baptism of John was to get them into a new set of behaviors characterized by repentance as, as contrasted with the sinfulness of their past. They were coming and they were being baptized into this new way of living. And then, of course, uh, Acts 2.38, or part of it here, the same word used and highlighted, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for, or into, the forgiveness of your sins. Now, if they wanted to say, you know, because of, or there's a word for that. There's, this is not like a confusing thing from a, from a Greek perspective. You can mean, uh, this word dia would be the word for this, and it could mean uh, based on the nature of the word after it. It could be through, or depending on how that word is constructed, it could mean because of. And so we have examples of that with, with that word being in a different case that, that it would be the, you know, went through the grain fields and passing through waterless places and this sort of thing, or similarly uh, spoken by the prophet, this sort of thing. But then when, when it's in the, uh, the accusative case, it is, it is understood as because, and he did do many mighty works there because of their unbelief, and we could even look at that one. That's a very simple verse from Matthew 13, 58. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Now, this would be the way, this would be the word you'd use if you were intending to have that idea of because of that sort of dependence. Well, this is because of that other thing. But Luke didn't record Peter as saying that. He had the other word. So, um, well, I'll pause there for a moment. We'll talk about a little bit more about John's baptism, but does, that's probably a little more grammar than you wanted to get into, but does that make any sense? Maybe in particular for you, Don, does that, does that clarify anything? That it's into? 
I, I guess I've, I've had contentious discussions with people. Oh, yes. Who have said that, now here's an example in, in, uh, in John baptizing under repentance and taking the word ace. And uh, in order to make that fit my understanding, it can either be into or because of. But most Greek scholars will not say that ace says or means because of. And I think that if we're going to take the exact meaning of ace into, unto, toward, so forth, then we need, we need to apply it here, where John, where, yeah, where John is baptizing unto or ace repentance. And I just I just thought that uh, McGarvey had a good uh, a, a good uh, comment on that, but I had to I had to look at that and say to myself, do I really understand? And he said, I indeed baptize you in water unto repentance, uh, meaning uh, unto the completion of your repentance. And, and I, I make some notes here. Uh, Repentance on our part is prompted by a godly sorrow for sin. Uh, and that leads to a change of direction, uh, a change of mind. This change of direction must be a continuing change as we go through life. So when, you, when, uh, when uh, John says he indeed uh, baptizes in water unto or toward repentance, you have to include the idea it is a continuing thing and you're being baptized into it, even though repentance literally comes before you the act of baptism. Before and after, right? Yeah, right. And, and I think that's what we have to we have to grasp. It's not just a one time thing. And I think that that's why John uh, would say to the the Pharisees and so forth who were coming, who warned you to come? Bring forth proof of your because you see that that there in itself is an argument for me. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> the word in its literal meaning and make the proper application. Because mm -hmm. yeah, he's telling them repent, yeah. and then in the course of working through that, they're they're uh, being baptized. I mean, but Peter also says, be saved from this crooked generation. But that doesn't mean you're saved. <laughs> it means, you know, let's obey God. D? I, I think it's interesting how it's talking about how, how it's a continuing thing. You know, the kids in the back when I teach repentance, I do the U-turn sign. <laughs> you know, they're going towards sin and they need to turn around and go back. And then it's interesting when you do look at Luke's account, these crowds are coming near him. And he's explaining they need to repent. And there's something out there And, that, and you see that all throughout the Bible. 
Bible, it's like God asks you to take something out of your life, maybe to repent, to turn away from that, but he's also telling you where to go, what to do instead of that. So, so I think that these were fruits of repentance, we might call, that they would do. You know, they're to stop doing what they had been doing that's wrong, and to do what the right thing was. So he's guiding their thoughts into that. If we take the position we're done repenting, then we're taking the position that we're perfect and all of this and that, you know, if, if all have sinned, <laughs> right? Yeah. Even driving, I mean, everybody here mostly drives and that, and there are times you've taken a wrong turn. I mean, I've taken wrong turns and then I'm like, oh, I got on the wrong road, I got on the wrong track, and you turn around and that maybe not make a literal U-turn in the road because that might excite some, you know, some <laughs> <person>. but, uh, <laughs> We might give in some road rage and need to repent of our heart for wanting the, that person to die because they cut us off or whatever. Right? <laughs> you know, there are times maybe we're not looking to go towards sin, but we end up in that area anyway. And that, you know, that's what Jesus Oh, yes, Jared. Well, and Paul gives us pretty decent examples all through his letters of this idea of the forward movement that needs to be done. His life, his life is a great example of that, of what he was before. His, his understanding of the law or what he thought was right. Uh, him being shown the way. Uh, coming to bad understanding uh, becoming baptized, but his entire life goes through that forward arc where he would say that I finished, you know, well, that the goal is to finish the race to receive the crown of life. Uh, and then Second Timothy, when he, when he writes to Timothy, you know, he gives this idea uh, in chapter two, explaining the idea of uh, examples of different individuals through things. And he goes, uh, in verse 5, chapter 2, uh, if anyone competes in athletics, it's not crowned unless he completes according to the rules. That idea that, you know, there was something that was set in place, and it has to be finished. And we understand that when we come to repentance and our, our baptism, that that's basically that start of the race. The start of everything that we are, as Christians, need to accomplish the forward movement, and, and whenever we do speak or we give an invitation, we need to probably stress the importance that that's not the be-all, end-all to being a Christian. It's one facet of, of, of an overarching uh, plot to find a salvation. But it has to start with that. Into your point, um, the doctrine of Baptism is, does not rest on the word ace. You know, we, we look at passages that talk about how we're buried with him in baptism, we rise to walk in new life. We're talking about where Peter talks about how baptism now saves us, just is relating to how the flood cleansed the earth in the time of Noah. And, you know, it, um, this is just one of those little snags that, that, that our opponents sometimes try to throw. But in fact, it's not a snag. You know, the word means into, we're, we're baptized into, to go into 
forgiveness of sins. And that's just what the word means. I, uh, the reason I brought this up is uh, uh, because, as some others have said, let's let the Bible be its own commentary rather than for me to comment upon what I think it should be. Uh, let's, let's just take the word for what it is and accept it uh, rather than try to change it to my, to my viewpoint. Yeah, let's always be on guard, you know. Um. And, and I think we, uh, not just not just denominations, but it, the church itself needs to practice that. I, I think we're, we can be in danger just because we're people to make Jesus in our image instead of letting the image of Jesus transform our lives. And that sort of aligns with what you're saying and, you know, if we see something about Jesus, and we, you know, I was talking to Rachel about this, you know, if we look at Jesus cleansing the temple and say, well, you know, we cleaned the church building with the vacuum cleaner, and we're, so we're kind of, you know, <laughs> that's a silly example, and I don't think we say that, but I mean, we might make connections that aren't right. We need to, to take the hard sayings of Jesus, those challenging things, and take them to heart and let our lives be transformed. And if it, and if it seems easy, we're, we're probably not doing it right. We're probably not really getting it. So if we look at John's baptism, I know Amanda had some questions about John's baptism. We just talked about John's baptism, but what's the deal? So we, we alluded to these, we didn't really study. So um, if we jump ahead to Acts 18, verse 24, it says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. There was something lacking in his teaching, and, and we see this difference of, of that. And if we jump ahead just a little bit um, to Acts 19, we see Apollos again, uh, Acts 19, verse 1, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe, and the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So we see, very consistent with all of the stuff that we're reading about John the Baptist, he's coming to prepare the way of the Lord. And so later on, we see, well, some people had been prepared for the way of the Lord, but hadn't quite gotten to the Lord part. And so they clarify that for him. John's baptism was not enough once we got into the Christian age, we might say. Um, Apollos didn't have enough information there earlier on, and, and maybe, maybe some of these are the folks that he taught, maybe prior. Uh, but, but this was this transitional period where some people hadn't quite heard the good news yet. They'd heard only the, that it's coming. In practical terms, we don't really need to be concerned about it. I mean, it's not like 
we're not subject to John's baptism because we, we've moved on. But it's, it's good to understand what that was and maybe the issues with it. So, John? I think we just need to keep in mind as we go through the scriptures, there were a number of different baptisms for different occasions at different times in history. And when we come to the point where we realize that there's only one baptism, one baptism only that is applicable today. Right. John's baptism is not. It's been fulfilled and done away with. John did his job. He succeeded. You know, by the time the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, you, you, you probably had, a, like all those folks who were baptized in Acts 2, probably the majority of them had been with John and understood these things, and the way was prepared for them, and it wasn't some foreign idea. They were expecting that. Now, of course, they clearly misunderstood in the interim, and some of them were involved in crucifying Christ, not recognizing him as the Messiah, as he truly is. But once it was all clarified with Peter's sermon and recognizing Jesus rose from the dead, they put it all together and obeyed. John didn't baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right. That's the difference. That's the reference here. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all, all creatures, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, there, there's, a, there's a change from John. Jesus, who is the one who is almighty and glorious, you know. Right. Uh, and, and these people, you think about this, in the time that they were living, uh, you didn't have uh, uh, immediate <coughs> communication with people. So these people have followed through with John's baptism, but they never knew about the other. So it was understandable that they, that they had to be uh, re-instructed, you might say. It's just the process of learning and news traveling. Okay, so we have just a couple minutes. Let's look at our last question there at the bottom of the page, page 10. Briefly describe the events surrounding the baptism of Jesus. So that would be from, uh, I think I would suggest looking at Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. How would you describe that? Came to John asking to be baptized, and John's like, no way, I'm not. <laughs> right. And, uh, and, of course, Jesus reminded him that he fulfilled the prophecy. Mm -hmm. Fulfilled God's word. There is righteousness, yep. God's righteousness. And uh, John then consented, baptized Jesus. As soon as he baptized him, the Spirit of the Lord descends onto Jesus. And God says, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased. So acknowledging that Jesus is the son of God. Good summary. Uh, Mark, Mark actually adds the details that the heavens tore, tore open, you know, which is kind of a dramatic detail. Uh, it says, uh, so we have Jesus being baptized. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. So we have the Son and the Holy Spirit. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son. So if, who's saying that? The Father, right? With whom I am well pleased. So here's one of those rare moments where we see all three involved. I think you might look at Genesis and you might see as well. We have a little bit harder to see, but we have the Spirit hovering over the face of the deep. We have God's plan being enacted and then the Word, the Word being involved. And we know from John 1 that the Word is, is Jesus and his God. Dee? I think too, like, like even though Jesus didn't really need to repent of anything, he was putting a stamp on John saying that he approved of what he was doing. Um, you know, that was another part of this. 
Huh? Good point. Uh, Jesus lived and died under that old law. And when you're talking about fulfilling all righteousness, he's doing just exactly what uh, John was telling everybody else to do. We're out of time. Good comments. Uh, next time, Lord willing, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, this, you know, this baptism leads to temptation. You know, we might, we, sometimes we point that out to our new converts, right? Hey, you're excited. You've, you've become a child of God, but guess what? Now it gets hard, right? But we see Jesus defeating the devil in this, and so that's what a good example for us. So thank you for your comments. I love to tell the story, twill be my theme in glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love.